Good morning. So for many of us who've been tracking with our sermon series in the book of Daniel, this is the week we've been waiting for, Daniel in the lion's den. Now for such a straightforward story, there's a lot of goodness to unpack, so we are just going to dive right in. Our story opens when things are going very well for Daniel. There's a new king in town, Darius, and he is setting up his kingdom. Daniel, based on his past performance and on the excellent spirit within him, this is the spirit of the holy gods as it's described elsewhere in Daniel, is one of the king's top three guys. And he's about to get another promotion that will elevate him even higher. Now, amazingly, Daniel has managed to get to this elevated position, even though he's a foreigner, even though he's a religious minority, and most amazingly of all, even though he has never taken a bribe and he is not engaged in the corruption that was widespread in the government. In a toxic, self-serving political system, Daniel is a man committed to the best interests of king and country. Well, sadly, this upcoming promotion makes him deeply unpopular with his colleagues. Verses 4 and 5. Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. The king may be new, but Daniel has been more or less a part of the political system in Babylon for over 60 years now. He was brought in exile to Babylon as a teenager, and now he's in his 80s. And his colleagues know him pretty well. They know that the reason that they can find no fault in his service to king and country is because Daniel's ultimate commitment is to something far above and beyond king and country. Daniel's ultimate loyalty belongs to God alone. And his flawless record of public service is rooted in his deep devotion to God and his obedience to God's eternal laws. So even his rivals are unable to dig up any scandal against him, and they decide, kind of ironically, to target his integrity instead. They know that his ultimate commitment is to God, not to his political standing. Now, because the high officials and satraps do not share Daniel's love of neighbor, they have no qualms coming up with a law whose sole purpose is to serve their own interests. And they have no qualms about using their power to not only make a trap for Daniel, but make a tool of their boss, the king. Verse 6, then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. And all the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. 
Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. That's the setup. It's pretty miserable. Daniel, who has done nothing but excellent work, finds himself the target of evil men who wish him ill. And the one guy who could protect him is asleep at the wheel. King Darius is actually a big fan of Daniel, and he likes him. But you get the impression that King Darius has kind of checked out. He's delegated lots of responsibility uh, to people who are not worthy of it. And so the one guy in all the land who has the power and the inclination to protect Daniel and to put a stop to this completely unjust persecution just got played. Now, if you're like me, your first reaction to finding yourself in any sort of trouble that you know you don't deserve is surprise and then anger. If there's a situation where I know I have worked really hard under really tough circumstances to do a good job morally, ethically, professionally, relationally, I kind of expect people to recognize that and treat me accordingly. It's a type of spiritual entitlement. It's uh, not pretty, but it's fairly common. So let's see how Daniel reacts to this situation. In verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went and filed a complaint with HR. No, that's not it. We'll try again. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he requested an audience with the king, told him what the satraps were up to, and he asked the king issue a counter edict that nullified the first. Because apparently, historically, there is a workaround for this law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. But Daniel didn't do that either. Here's what he actually did. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This, my brothers and sisters, is what God-fearers do when they face persecution or trouble of any kind. This is Daniel's no-fail superpower, his major heroic feat, the strategy that has made him such an exemplary citizen and an extraordinary leader and a man of faith. It can be summed up in two words, trust and obey. Daniel had been worshiping God through daily prayer, day in and day out, year in and year out, decade after decade, in such a way that love of God and love of neighbor have defined his life more than any other quality. I'm sure that he had some brilliant business strategies and some finely honed leadership skills, but when push came to shove, his go-to move was faithful obedience in prayer. Now, by the world standards, this seems kind of sweet, but foolish, like something a pious but naive 10-year-old Sunday school kid would do, right? When the pressure is on, when our security and our social standing and even our lives are threatened, typically our first instinct 
is to try to neutralize the threat. We generally respond to threat by doing one of two things. We either shrink back to try to appease the power that's pressuring us, or we power up and try to dominate. Either way, we try to deal with power on its own terms. Daniel had these options too. The edict was aimed at his prayer life. It would have been really simple to shrink back, just dial back maybe the visibility of his prayer life, move the prayer mat away from the front window and put it in the prayer closet in the back room. Problem solved. He doesn't even have to actually give up praying. He could just kind of take it on the down low for 30 days. That's a familiar strategy when the spotlight is on our faith, isn't it? We tell ourselves that we will keep our core principles, but we'll just massage the edges, massage the details just a little bit so that the distinction between me and those I fear is not quite so strong. We shrink back. Of course, the other option is available too. Daniel could have powered up. Those satraps and high officials were self-serving and corrupt. They were jerks, not just to Daniel, not even just to the king. They truly didn't deserve the power they had over the people of the land. And Daniel would have been completely justified in doing everything he could to take them down. Why not go straight to the king and demand better treatment? Why not gather the Jews in the land for a rally, for a coup? Now, we might understand how shrinking back is a capitulation to the powers of this world. I think it's a little harder for us to see how powering up is actually capitulation as well. When we power up and attempt to seize or retain political power, we're testifying not to our faith in God, but to our faith in earthly power. One commandment puts it like, one commentator, sorry, puts it like this. Daniel's seemingly innocuous act of prayer was more revolutionary than outright rebellion would have been. Rebellion simply acknowledges the absoluteness and ultimacy of the emperor's power and attempts to seize it. Prayer denies that ultimacy altogether by acknowledging a higher power. Daniel may have seemed foolish or naive to turn to God in prayer. What he was actually doing was testifying with his life, his allegiance to the power that transcends all else. He was displaying the power of God by simply putting one God-fearing foot in front of the other. Trust. Obey. Trust. Obey. Trust. Obey. And that's how he ended up in the lion's den. Trust and obedience, you see, lead us to the cross. Jesus would not be born for another 500 or 600 years, but Daniel's journey at this point begins to closely prefigure to resemble the path of Jesus. Daniel, like Jesus, felt the deadly power of the state breathing down his neck. Daniel, like Jesus, resisted the temptation to shrink back and try to placate the powers that threaten. 
And he resisted the temptation to power up, to control the powers that threaten. But shrinking back and powering up are attempts to avoid suffering. Faith and obedience, on the other hand, are testimony to the power of God in the life of a human being. And so Daniel went, so Jesus went, and so you and I must go into the lion's den, into a season of not only suffering and suspense, but of judgment. Verse 16, then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. This den of lions is Daniel's Golgotha, and the mouth of the den, like the tomb of Jesus, is sealed. And we are left on the outside in grief and suspense. Daniel has now gone, as Jesus did, beyond the reach of all human aid. His fate is in the hands of God alone. And all the drama of that night in the lion's den is seen not through Daniel's eyes, but through the eyes of the king. Verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. This is part of the intensity of Daniel's story. Not having the faith of a Daniel ourselves, we, the readers, spend a sleepless, agitated, suspenseful night in the company of the king. And so with the king, in verse 19, we arise at break of day and go in haste to the den of lions. Verse 20, as he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? There's a breathless pause. And then for the first time in this story, we hear Daniel's voice speaking. Calling up to the king from the bottom of the pit, Daniel says to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Wow. (laughs) Daniel is alive. He has been judged by God, and because he has been found blameless before God, God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions. Daniel went faithfully into the lion's den, and God faithfully has brought him out, saved and vindicated. This is a new twist to the story. Not only has God saved Daniel, but he has publicly vindicated him and made it known that he is blameless and innocent. The satraps and the high officials just wanted Daniel out of the way. They didn't care how it happened. They would have been happy to smear his name. Political scandal could have taken him out. That would have been great. Since it didn't, this made-up law that gets him killed is fine. But their dirty trick when met with Daniel's faith and obedience and the power and mercy of the Lord has become something more significant than just one life saved. Daniel's life was not only spared, 
His life has become a living monument. He is a walking testimony now to what God will do for the man, woman, or child who places their faith in God. When we follow Christ to the cross or into the lion's den in faith, our lives become a display case for the glory and the power of God. And this opportunity to display the power of God is ours no matter what happens. Not everyone who trusts and obeys is physically plucked out alive from the lion's den, right? We know this. In time and space, in history, most Christians who have become targets of the state or any other earthly powers get eaten by the lions. The dramatic rescue of Daniel from the lion's den is remarkable because it is such a close imitation, a direct homage to the one true miracle of Jesus Christ, literally, physically, historically risen from the dead. True stories like these are precious because they allow us to see on earth realities that for most of us, we will not see and realize until after our death. We put our faith in God not to escape from suffering, death, and judgment, but because we trust him absolutely to bring us safely through suffering, death, and judgment. By his grace and and power, we can emerge saved and vindicated, if not on this earth, then at the end of time. Most of the time, it is how we enter the lion's den that brings glory to God, not how we exit. Our physical bodies, most of the time, are going to exit the lion's den only when the poop gets cleared out of there. This is why the early church said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Martyrs are Christians who brought glory to God in how they met their death. Faith is the evidence of things unseen. And when the world sees believers responding to threat with trust and obedience in God, that witness is what brings glory and honor to the living God. Now, if you're like me, you find these truths from the story of Daniel both deeply inspiring, but also a little shaming. If trust and obedience are possible for even the youngest or newest believer in Jesus, what do I do with the fact that I'm not living up to Daniel's example? I've never been the target of a plot against my life, but I have enough experience with hostile pressures to know that I am indeed more likely to shrink back or power up than to press deeply into faith and obedience to God. So when I hear Daniel say, my God sent his angel and shut the mouths and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him, I get a little uncomfortable. If my faith is weak and my obedience is flawed, and they are, how will I fare when I do face not just suffering and suspense, but death? And judgment. This is where it is incredibly important to press more deeply into Daniel's story until we understand it in the light of the story of Jesus. The fact is, as truly exceptional and praiseworthy as Daniel is, Daniel was a sinner just like you and me. 
We know that God will save and vindicate us, not because of our blamelessness, not because we're like Daniel, not because we're like Jesus, but because Jesus made himself like us. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. And we sang this in this morning's hymn, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. When we follow Jesus into the lion's den of death and judgment, God will save and vindicate us, not because we trust and obey flawlessly, but because Jesus did. Our faith is not in ourselves. We do not trust in the quality of our faith or in the flawlessness of our own obedience. God forbid. Our trust is in the living God and in his righteousness with which he clothes us. A tiny seed of faith is enough to win for us the outcome that we read about in Daniel. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. God is pleased to use even our fragile faith and our imperfect obedience as a canvas on which to display his justice, his power, his mercy, and his beauty. Now look what happens at the end of the story. Verse 24, And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Now, Daniel had done nothing to counteract the vicious plot of his enemies, and he refused the temptation to power up and seek vengeance for them. And yet the outcome of his low-key, high-risk decision to trust and obey God ultimately led to the complete dismantling of the corrupt and unjust system, not just for one generation, but for several generations. We'll close then with the the final bit to this story where the glory of the Lord is proclaimed to the nations here. These words of praise spoken by the king are for us too. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God Enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel and who will save us from the power of the lions. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.